Warning, the conversation you are about to hear features three morons recklessly discharging unfiltered comments at sensitive topics. It's probably best if no one listens to this asinine debauchery, but if you do listen, please remember your sense of humor. Some ideas are stupid, but that doesn't mean anyone needs to be punished. Let's investigate that. Did that trigger you? Yeah, but not in any way that makes any logical fucking sense whatsoever. You can simply a terrible idea, and I feel like I made a mistake. You know, actually, I do have a funny, a, a funny thing about sex moves. But it's not like, and it's not like you can just do a sex move whenever you want. You know what? Fuck it. Let's start it this way. One of my sexiest memories was talking, having just a conversation with this woman, and I mentioned chocolate-covered bacon, and we had a very enthusiastic conversation about chocolate-covered bacon. I don't don't know how I feel about that. That's clearly a euphemism. No, literally, we were talking about chocolate-covered bacon. You should... Her eyes just lit up, and she was very enthusiastic. I was like, that's very attractive. When she saw your chocolate-covered bacon, her eyes just lit up. (laughs) It was crispy, right? Had to have been. It actually does get a little bit chewy if you cover it in chocolate. Mm. Anyway, uh, welcome to Mansploring, everybody. I'm here. I'm Jeff. I'm here with uh, Chuck and Dan. How are you guys doing? Thanks for having me. I feel excited to invite listener onto my newest uh, uh, profit. They can get in on the ground floor of my newest profit scheme. I mean, plan. All right, hit me. What is it? Well. You know, this is a rare opportunity to participate in groundbreaking research. Uh, or is it research? Do you prefer research or research? I like the accent at the beginning. Research. To, to say research means that I searched already once, and now I'm searching again. Groundbreaking yeah. research uh, onto the phenomenon of 69. It's about time we got to the bottom of this phenomenon, if you don't mind me saying so. Because what is an alarming realization that I experienced recently is that some people are good at multitasking and others are not. So I think this needs to be studied. Number one, does one need to be good at multitasking to enjoy 69? Hypothesis. One could enjoy 69 even if one is not good at multitasking if there is a steady alteration of attention. I give attention for about 10 seconds, then the other person gives attention for about 10 seconds, and then it goes back to me, and then back, and then maybe a buildup of excitement and tension that way. Or, no, in fact, there's no way in hell that a person who's not good at multitasking could enjoy 69, and if they are appearing to have enthusiasm during that process, then they are pretending, which may still feel a little bit sexy. I'm really glad that you brought this up and not me. And I'm looking at Jeff's <laughs> Jeff's face right now to see. I'm just waiting for his expression as I enthusiastically jump into this topic because I have thoughts. First of all, I think that 69ing is not just one activity. It's kind of an umbrella term because there is the multitasking issue that you, you bring up where... Uh, you are trying to perform a task, but you are being distracted. You can either lean into that and 
do what I call competitive 69ing, where you are trying to distract the other person. <laughs> like you're trying. So that is the only one of the few ways to win at sex. If you are so good at 69ing that your partner gets distracted and gives up, you have won. I'm so good at 69ing that she gets to 70 almost every time. Uh, and then the <laughs> other the other way is personally i think it's the, it's the superior way even though i i am a competitive person and i do enjoy a, a sexy game every so often it is the side by side 69 not the not the sandwich one on top of the other because i feel like that's a fool's errand it's side by side and uh it's what i guess you could describe like a sunday 69 you're just kind of like lazily playing with each other's genitalia can i can I come back to the phrase a fool's errand? Because <laughs> I feel like <laughs> if somebody had asked me, name 100 fool's errands. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I sandwich, would not have, I have, not, would not have come up with... 69 following. No, that would have been like 103 maybe. It No, it's obviously number 69. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Uh, I hear that. There is There are some problems with it. It's You just have to... Re- yeah, there are some concerns, and definitely there's more tasks to the multitasking there because you're trying not to choke and or suffocate yourself or somebody else. Right. That's but why the I, Sunday 69ing has a lot more safety and could be a lot more simple. Yeah, I think it's, I personally think it is, and also welcome listener, if you need, you know, my preferred method of 69ing is arrange <laughs> yourselves head to foot, and then you kind of like lift your upper knee. So that you make like a little triangle and it gives you easy access to each other's genitalia. And then you just kind of bat it around a little bit. <laughs> like a cat. Yeah. I am I am so glad that this podcast exists to tackle this the serious issue, the intense issues that nobody else can talk about. Yeah. I will not confirm or deny whether or not wife and I do this. I'm just saying because I, I'm forbidden to talk about our like actual sexual activity. So I plead the fifth as far as that goes. <laughs> I'm just saying that is the best way to do it, in my opinion. Are you free to talk about previous sexual activities with other people? Absolutely. Okay. She can't stop me. Uh, there's going to be lots of more research than I even bargained for here because we have to test this hypothesis in multiple positions. Mm-hmm. Hypothesis in multiple positions now. I think you can just discount the the sandwich method. That is... That is an amateur rookie mistake. An amateur to attempt the sandwich? Yeah. Jeff? Do you want to weigh in on that? No. Okay. Anyway, if you want to report <laughs> your results uh, to mansploringpod at gmail.com, we will uh, describe them out. We will have a full lab report available at a future date, in my imagination. That's a great, a great start. Do uh, you gents enjoy multitasking? Do I? Tangential point. Like, do you feel like you can genuinely pay attention to multiple things simultaneously, or are you just more or less rapidly shifting attention back? I prefer not to multitask, but sometimes I have trouble focusing on just one thing. That is is a difficult question for me to answer, because I can't focus on doing one thing at a time, like, let alone trying to do multiple things, but not being able to focus on one thing at a time means that I am often doing many things, I guess, sequentially, back to back, rather than at the same. So, no, I don't think I can multitask. I don't think I'm capable of it. So, hypothetically, if you were driving, there's a task, 
having a conversation, there's a task, listening to the radio, there's a task, and uh, drawing a cartoon all at the same time. Like you would not really be doing them all at the same time. You would be shifting attention. You wouldn't necessarily hear the music while you during while formulating a thought for the conversation or while uh, making a left turn in traffic. Like you may not even be aware of what song is playing right. unless you just were paying attention to it a moment earlier. Yeah, something always drops off. Usually you can juggle, I think, maybe one, two or three things. And so and if a person is, so if my girlfriend is 69ing me, how is she juggling three things? Like a dick and two balls. That's a lot to ask for any juggler. I think three things is the minimum required for it to be juggling. Yeah. I mean, uh, you can technically juggle two things, but that doesn't count. I, I do not identify as a juggler, even though I can juggle a little bit. And I like my pride is, is like two things doesn't count. Speaking of research or research, <laughs> uh, another topic that I researched this week was do deaf schizophrenics hear voices? Like, did you did did you actually research this or was it just? I asked some people I thought might be known. Yeah, that's research. Okay, yeah, I'll I'll go with that. What did they say? That's what I'm doing now. <laughs> oh, so this is this is the research. No, I did ask a few other people, including uh, actual real life mental health clinicians. Oh, that's a good question. I because I have known I've interacted with people who were deaf and psychotic before, but I didn't speak sign language. I didn't know. Don't know sign language. Nobody speaks sign language. Yeah, Daniel. is it speak? Is it speaking? <laughs> is it still speaking? Uh, sure. We'll let you go on that one. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. All, all I could say was shoes. Shoes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's not going to translate to the audio format. Exactly. Yeah. That's also the sign for sixty-nine. I happen to know. I I was just thinking, for a second. Oh, we should invite somebody, a deaf person, on. And then I realized that that is also yeah. not great. So th- I think the question is, are they deaf with a capital D or uh, with a lowercase d? You mean, how did they become deaf? Was it since birth or did they lose their hearing somewhere later in life? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Or are they are they completely hearing, uh, 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 unable to hear, or are they uh, just have a hearing uh, impairment? Yeah, is it is like is it the volume is zero or is it they just can't hear a lot? They can kind of hear some muffled sound. Well, I feel like if this is a person who can hear some, then the question answers itself. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a good question. That's a, a very good point. I would say the this hypothetical deaf deaf person that we're imagining here would have to be someone who has never heard a voice. That's the that's the type of person that I'm. Yeah researching that's that is an interesting question by the way all the compassion in the world for such a person like there's no mockery going on here yeah like yeah we're like we're uh we're having a very earnest himbo conversation about this because this is more an inquiry into how the brain works than it is an attempt to make fun of people who don't hear yeah and it's one of those things where it's an impossible situation for us to experience because we have heard voices so i feel like there is actually an answer to this question i just don't know enough about brains to be able to answer it yeah well do you want me to tell you what the so-called experts told me when i asked them yeah go for it this is the only research i've done that i can remember for a long time that i didn't use the internet for i just actually asked people and it's probably worse 
because I feel like Google could hit me up with some sort of like actual real expert as opposed to people who quasi know about the brain. But according to people who happened to be near me when I was thinking about this, who quasi know about the brain, uh, one of them said that deaf schizophrenics will hear, uh, hear or perceive random sounds if not voices or speech, but random sounds if the part of their brain that processes sound is active and well. If their deafness is due to an ear problem rather than an auditory processing problem in the brain, then the brain will manufacture those sounds still, but they won't be wouldn't be intelligible to a, a speaker of for you know spoken language. Um, yeah, because I guess the brain would it would be making literal noise. Right. Yeah, it's, it's not calibrated. Right. Huh. Uh, another such person told me that they knew of a, a non-hearing person who was schizophrenic who had um, sign language hallucinations. Huh. Interesting. So the, the people that would normally, well, people were still telling them, like, to go, you know, do whatever their voices were telling yeah, them but they, instead of voices it's just people signing the cat is carrying secret messages and and from the government and you should kill it because it's out to destroy us all hmm. i don't know the sign language for that but i'm pretty sure it's entertaining well and i guess a kind of uh, tangent off of this is not everybody has an internal monologue or internal voice either yeah that weirds me out my internal voice almost always sounds like the last person whose voice i heard is that true for you? No. no, no, actually, I have different voices depending on what I'm doing. So Hearthstone has a battlegrounds mode. It's just like a random auto battler thing. And there's this guy that I watch who plays it professionally. And uh, he I think he's a very interesting person. And I would uh, I would like to watch a documentary about his his climb because he's uh, kind of like middle high ranked on the ladder. Um, and he works very hard and he's very diligent and he's very good with his, his uh, marketing and he's on a team and, and stuff like that. So I, I feel like a documentary about his career would be interesting, but that's beside the point. But whenever I play Battlegrounds, when I'm evaluating my strategy and trying to make decisions for the turn, I hear specifically his voice telling me what to do. That's that's weird. Yeah, no, my, my internal monologue has a voice and it's... It's it's like it's my voice, but muffled, hmm. muffled as if you're doing sixty nine. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like it, it's like when somebody tries to talk to you, but you're wearing a noise canceling headphones. Like huh. you hear it, and you kind of know what they're saying, but it's not like yeah. There's no distinct voice. That's a very unhelpful internal voice. Why is the inner you yeah. being suffocated with a pillow? Uh, I'm, I'm sure there's some metaphor in there somewhere that explains everything, but I'm not. That's a question for your therapist. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm pretty sure at the end of this call, whoever was the last person to speak out loud will be my inner voice for a few minutes anyway. Oh, that's um, fantastic. I'm, I'm going to lobby for that position. <laughs> yeah, I will. I will do my best. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to. Definitely going to end the call with farts, farts, butt shit. <laughs> no, so no, that not the actual words, just the sound of the voice. Yeah, yeah, but if I say farts, farts, butt shit enough, that's going to get stuck in your head, too. Especially if you say it musically. But then this would be a musical, and we know how you feel about that. There are two people who are not don't like each other but have to share a bed. Are they 96ing? We should coin yeah, that, actually. Because are they, are they like sleeping uh, head to foot? 
and just turned away from each other. Yeah. That would be 96ing. Head to foot and back to back. Okay. Yeah. That's what I do if I have to share a bed with somebody I don't like. Uh, I'm not even putting my yeah. head up near their head. I'll put my head down by their stanky ass feet because fuck them. Yeah. It's better than their face. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I hope I never have to 96 with somebody. That just seems uncomfortable. Mm. Wait, what is what is it called if you're 69ing with more than two people? Do you just add in like another, what is it, 34 and a half? No, I think, I think at that point it becomes a geom- it's, it's geometry and not math. Not just regular can arithmetic. Only, can only be expressed in the form of an equation. That's right. An, that's yeah. an isosceles triangle. Yeah, I was going to say it's a triangle. That's isosceles-ing. Oh my god, you're right. That would, you could express that as an equation. <laughs> Man, I, I really wish that I remembered my algebra. That would be very funny if I, if I was good enough at math to be able to spit out a See, triangle they, equation. They told you you were going to need it someday. 16-year-old me would not listen to 42 year old me like 16 year old me yeah 16 year old me would be like (laughs) shut up old man no no if 42 year old you was telling 16 year old you that you're going to need this for a threesome (laughs) multi-genital oral experience uh yeah you would pay attention yeah you would absolutely pay attention yeah that that is true because that that's very funny and I think even at 16, I would have known how funny that was. I like the idea that, like, you go back in time, and that is the first thing you have to tell yourself. Like, you go back in time to change your life, and that is the thing that you tell you first. So, this is the problem with time travel, especially within your own timeline. If you go back to speak to your younger self, you have to get your younger self's attention. And your younger self is gonna be kind of I mean, for almost everybody, it, your younger self is going to be kind of hard to talk to. Yeah, uh, like anybody under 25 is really hard to talk to. Yeah, but I mean, I especially did not have any sort of respect for authority just because somebody was older than me. So some old some old dude who kind of looked like me, maybe, coming up to me and telling me that I should uh, pay attention in algebra, not going to move the needle. You start telling me that it's so that I can, it's because a 69 with three people can only be expressed <laughs> as an equation that draws a triangle that that will get my like that will get my attention because that is that is so funny. A 69 sideways 69ing with one tall person and three smaller people is a rhombus. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. <laughs> Wait, is it a rhombus that has the smaller, or is it a trapezoid? I think it's the trapezoid that has the two leany. No, that's the rhombus. The rhombus <laughs> is the le- is the leaning rectangle, and the trapezoid is the one with the the shorter uh, top. I, I fucked it up. I meant to say or trapezoid. Bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. All right, redo. Sixty nining, side uh, sideways sixty nining with one tall person and three smaller people is trapezoiding. I mean, I guess you could say that. 69ing with more than two people is just polygoning because at that point it's just yeah it's however many sides how many like sides there are i think you could do a sandwich 69 with four people that where would you want to (laughs) be not there (laughs) 
okay, I will say this might be revealing a little bit too much about me and my preferences. Honestly, I would not mind being on the bottom of that. <laughs> I think about like uh, not not like people stacked to like lumber, mm-hmm. but more like people being built into uh, a house frame. So it's it's like a cheerleader pyramid, except yes. that you're sucking each other's dicks. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes, exactly. Talk about multitasking. Yeah. That's a multitasking. Speaking of athletics and multitasking, are the two yeah. of you aware of chess boxing? Oh, yes. yeah. Oh, yes, I am. Yep. Yeah. How did you become aware of chess boxing before I did? I've known about chess uh, boxing for like 20 years. What? Yeah. It's, it's been a thing for a long time. Yeah. It's been pretty fantastic. I never knew. I've been vaguely aware of it, but somebody that I watch on YouTube a lot uh, has started sponsoring and running chess boxing events, so... In case listener is not familiar, could one of you explain chess boxing? Uh, it's pretty much what it says on the tin. You yeah. do some boxing, and then you do some chess, and then you go back to boxing, and then back to chess, and yeah. whoever wins, whichever one first Right, wins. so you're yeah. not multitasking, you're going back and forth. Exactly. Yep. It would be very funny if you actually had to multitask. Like, you had to, you had to just wall up the other person hard enough so that you could go over and like just just move your one pawn with your chest <laughs> with your boxing gloves on. You're not allowed to use like a stick because you can't have anything else in the ring. See, I when I first heard of the term chess boxing, I thought what it was is that if you are playing chess and you capture an opponent's piece, then you get to punch them. I'd watch that. That would be that would be kind of funny. Yeah. Would you ever engage in chess boxing? No. Absolutely not. Oh. Why? No. I, yeah, I don't want to get punched. Yeah. Do you remember, punched. Jeff, do you remember Project Graduation when they had those big novelty yes. boxing gloves and I got punched drunk? <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah. Yes, I do. Yeah. You're welcome. These were like very big air-filled boxing gloves yeah. and they were I was completely disoriented. Yeah. Comically oversized boxing gloves filled with air. So they weren't actually going to hurt anybody, but somehow Dan still got like a mild concussion, I think, or something. My uh, cage got rattled. All right. What about you, Chuck? Would you would you do chess boxing? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. It depends who the opponent was. Just oh. like, would I do, would I be the bottom of a four-person sandwich 69? Well, it depends who the <laughs> opponents are. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So here's, here's my question. If you got to choose your opponent, would you choose a boxer or would you choose a... Chessman. I would choose a chess prodigy, a chess, like an, an amazing chess skilled chess person currently in the fourth grade. And then I would punch yeah. the living shit out of that snotty ass kid. <laughs> no, no, I can't mean that. That's not true. That's child abuse, but it is funny. Well, okay, hold on. If that child stepped in the ring with you, he was asking for it. Yeah, it's child assault at that point, not child abuse. Mm. It's At not the worst. It's not assault. He's. I'm in pretty the, sure it's assault if they can't consent. He's. If they obvi- are too young, obviously, to obviously, their guardian let them do it. Yeah, oh, obviously, yeah. and that—that's yeah. where the child abuse is. You're not the one abusing the child. It's the negligent guardian who is making that terrible decision. Oh, the huge weight off my shoulders. So yeah. the secondary question is, <laughs> you're uh, just benefiting from right. from the child abuse. Do we? <laughs> Do we start with the boxing or with the chess? Because if Ooh. we start with the boxing, and I'm and I'm matched against a fourth grader, I feel like that gives me a pretty good advantage. I have a long reach. I amazingly have a story that is related to this. 
Thank God, because I was out of material. Really? It's yeah. It is not. It it's a a story that I was present for. Uh, I was an observer. I did not participate in right. uh, in all these. But my uh, so my older brother was in karate. Uh, wife. Well, I guess I'm not going to say his name anyway. I'm not going to be doxing people on the podcast anyway. But yeah, he was he was in karate, and I went to a karate meet, and for whatever reason. One of his opponents, <laughs> one of his opponents was a little girl. We were both in middle school at the time. I I want to say uh, sixth or seventh grade. Uh, and so we get up there, and he's going through his regular opponents, and then he he draws uh, a seven or eight year old girl. She is half his height. He was he was a tall dude even then, and she was half his height. And he was like, I don't know what to do. The really funny thing is that. You knew that he wasn't going to go easy on her because that is not, uh, that's not the spirit that was happening at that tournament. Well, I, I never met him, but from all accounts, uh, I got the impression he was not exactly a kind person. Uh, he, he is a fierce competitor. Let's just put it that way. Yes. Okay. Not that it runs yeah. into the family or anything like during musical chairs. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. That's, <laughs> actually, that is kind of like we are both fierce competitors in that way, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially, yeah, when it, when it comes to little girls, we show no mercy. <laughs> well, I think we have a title for our episode. <laughs> no, 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 no. But uh, the, really fu- the, really, the really funny thing about the story, though, is that, um, you know, you think, you think that it was going to go one way because, you know, he's so much taller and has so much reach, but uh, she just like lunged at him somehow punching and kicking with all four limbs simultaneously and like he won but it it was close like she was she was a little wolverine she was just throwing punches and kicks at him it was the most incredible thing i've ever seen and it was because because if he wanted to punch her he had to like squat down like it was it was pretty great never under like never underestimate a small child Especially if they're at a karate tournament. (laughs) It is incredibly difficult to stop a child from hurting you without hurting that child. Yeah. Like, there's entire... Like, you have to take classes on how to do that if you work as a direct direct service professional in a group home with children. Because how do you you stop a 10-year-old from biting you if you don't want to punch him? (laughs) Well, and, and I think more to the point of the story... Uh, I mean, she was at a, it was like a regional karate tournament. She was good at karate. <laughs> so just, just the fact that she was a child was, I think, the least relevant part. But it, it was just yeah. very funny watching, uh, <laughs> watching him have to fight this little girl who should not have been, like, there, there must have been some sort of procedural makeup or whatever, like, mistake mix up or whatever i i would imagine that chess boxing would have the same weight class requirements as normal boxing right Uh, so you're not going to get matched up against a 10 year old you're going to get matched up against somebody who is the same height ish and the same weight ish as you and in the same uh elo as you in chess i would think that's but that that must narrow the pool so much having both of those restrictions they have to be in the same weight class and the same elo i don't know there's a lot of people in the world When it comes to little girls, we show no mercy. <laughs> I can't believe that was said. <laughs> you should put. You should just cut that and put it 
at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> do, you, but do you ever worry the intro. that? Hmm? Do you ever worry that people are actually going to listen to this one day? <laughs> that somebody might hear what you say. I don't think that was too bad. I kind of feel yeah, like I just mean in general. If I'm ever important enough to where being accountable for what I say on here causes me a problem of some sort, then my life has gone in a pretty cool direction. I think. Oh, I was yeah. I was gonna say basically what you said, but I was my life would have gone terribly wrong. <laughs> I you, yeah. I don't need that much responsibility. How do you feel about like public celebrity apology? Like, are, is it just do they? Because they're always, always so awkward and so wrong. They do it wrong every time. Is there a way to do it right? Celebs are just people. Like, 98% of... Well, that's not an official statistic. Hold on, let me look it up. 94% of apologies given worldwide are bogus. Or just ineffective. Even if they're heartfelt, they're ineffective. Why should celebrities be any different? That's That's a sad thing to say. That makes me sad. Mm. Well, I mean, a lot of apologies are just social lubricant. You think so? Yeah. Like, if you, like, je- like, and we're not we're not just talking about like you bump into somebody and say, "Oh, sorry," but even then, like, if you're not genuinely sorry for bumping into them, then that makes you kind of a dick. So I did some research. Sorry, research about this actually when when I was in grad school, um, about how accountability works in different cultures. Um, especially pertaining to socioeconomic class and culture. And in certain cultures, there are rituals in place to diffuse a conflict, but that do not result in actual accountability. Um, And just because there's so much pressure on the system that they have to have a way to diffuse conflict or else there's just being constant violence going on. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So particularly in cultures of poverty, uh, what people are used to is the say you're sorry and that ends it kind of thing, but that's not actual accountability. It's not actual change. Um, but people are not used to accountability when they're in a marginalized population. They are not used to accountability from institutions or from larger forces. They're not used to justice serving them particularly well, uh, at least not in comparison to other populations, more mainstream populations. So that kind of trickles into just all relationships whenever there's a power imbalance there's less likely to be real accountability and more likely to be sort of rituals that just get you past the conflicts temporarily Mm -hmm. i mean apologies are hard i think in order for an apology to be real it has to have a couple different parts and i'm kind of naming these on the fly right now but uh it has to be you have to acknowledge what you did and like admit admit the wrong that you did you have to um like acknowledge the harm that you did to the other person and then you also have to uh make a commitment to either like repair what you did or prevent further damage going forward i think if you have those three things in an apology that's that's a that's a good apology and i think that the person should accept it they, they have no obligation you can't force somebody to take an apology but I think that if someone packages up an apology like that and it's sincere, then you should accept it. I wouldn't quite go that far, but uh, that's definitely the structure of a proper apology in my book. I, I agree with you there. I think accepting the apology has a lot more to do with the history of that particular relationship and 
what your gut, if nothing else, tells you about how genuine it is and meaningful it is, whether you can be rebuild trust that way. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Like the the big problem is, especially if it's a long, like a longstanding relationship, there's going to be all sorts of baggage, uh, previous wrongs that may or may not have been forgiven, especially if they haven't been for, like fully forgiven. Um, which is why I think it's important to accept apologies when they are offered because uh, accept them and genuinely accept them and forgive because if you don't, then that baggage is good is going to weigh down your relationship. So is that something you can do though? Can you just will your own acceptance into existence? Like if you've been genuinely wronged, is it possible to just be like, you know what? That does not bother me. If they if they apologize, then that goes that goes a long way. There's a great book on this subject by uh, Desmond Tutu called The Book of Forgiving, and I recommend it to listener and and others. Uh, and one of the things that is uh, elucidated in that book is that forgiveness is not necessarily an instant act; it's a practice. Um, so yeah, I think you can will yourself to be unburdened of the resentment. Um, does that mean you trust the person down the line? Not necessarily. It just means that you're not burdened by resentment and seething anymore. You're healing the wound. So one of the ingredients of justice is healing the wound. Mm-hmm. But in a lot of ways, you got to do that for yourself, even if you were the one who was wronged. A big part of an apology is helping that person heal. And it, that's not always a part of modern apologies. Right. <laughs> That's what the the reason Desmond Tutu is such a great authority on this topic was because of his leadership in the truth and reconciliation process in South Africa, mm-hmm. uh, which is precisely what you're talking about. The people who committed wrongs participated in a sort of mass scale restorative justice program um, voluntarily. You know, everybody mm-hmm. participating was doing so voluntarily, which makes a di- big difference on the effectiveness of restorative justice. Mm-hmm. Um, but it. It was very powerful. Why we powerful? <laughs> yeah, the the forgiveness is the only way to kill a grudge. The grudges will last a very long time unless you diffuse them, and the only way to diffuse them is with forgiveness. Or you can murder the person carrying the grudge. Mm, that just creates another grudge. Yeah, it's this whole separate grudge, but you killed the initial grudge. Mm. It's progress either way. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're here for. Yeah. It's the grudge too. It's not as good. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm still caught up on this idea of uh, being able to think your way out of uh, a feeling in general. I don't know if it's a matter of think. Uh, it's a matter of like changing your experience over time. Mm-hmm. Like I could change my relationship with uh, with that event over time. It's it's just like grieving. It's like any other form of loss. Like when it initially happens, it feels different than if it happened 20 years ago, especially if you've done some work to allow space for those feelings. And over time you change your relationship with it. It doesn't mean it's not affecting you, but you know, it's also not weighing you down or, or holding you back in life anymore. Um, and if the person who perpetrates the wrong can participate in that process, it's more powerful, but that doesn't always happen. And so there's other systems in place to do the next best thing. Yeah. I guess how the criminal justice system is supposed to work. 
um, where, okay, the criminal's not copping to it and not participating in the reconciliation or the justice process because they're denying it or whatever. But society at large witnesses it and says, okay, that's wrong that that happened to you and we're going to take action to remediate. And that type of thing is helpful for people who've been victims of crimes when it works. Yeah, I think that the cooperation of the person who did the wrong is so important. It's a shame that we can't always, we can't come up with a system to change the culture, I guess, so that people are uh, inspired to do that on their own, to participate when they're caught. I mean, I guess if we changed our culture, we would have less people doing wrongs anyway. I think that there are some injuries in which neither party is wrong, but the injury still happens. Yeah. There's still a problem, and that's still, somebody still gets hurt by that, or somebody still is owed reconciliation somehow. So let's say, to, you know, to put, to put that into an example, let's say uh, I accidentally put it in the butt. You know, I didn't mean to. Mm-hmm. During during 69? Well, that's harder to do. <laughs> uh, no, I think this would be during 11. Oh, wait. During... <laughs> 77? No, I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, what it is. <laughs> During the letter H. Um, so, they accidentally put it in the butt. I was, uh, you know, am I culpable? Am I, like, wrong? I, mean, I didn't do it on purpose, but I could have been more careful. Mm-hmm. Um, so, there's, you know, the justice there isn't, it's not so much about punishment. It's just about, like, recognizing what happened and saying, how do we how do we prevent this in the future and how can I participate in your healing? Yeah. I, I feel like the appropriate way to respond to that is to be like, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. That was an accident. How was your, Here's butt? some preparation H. Yeah. Like, yeah. How, how was your butt? And I going forward, I make a commitment to be more careful about where I'm ramming my rod. Do you want me to look at it and see if there's damage? But I, I think this all, this kind of gets back to what you were talking about with, the like the criminal justice system a, a lot of these remedies for a wrong that has been done are contingent upon there being a way to remedy the situation mm-hmm. right so it's contingent upon there being a thing that can make it better and i don't think there is most of the time i don't yeah. think there is a way to well for example, yeah, how how do you apologize for a murder? Yeah. You right. know, that that's a that's a very good question. There's not a way to make it better. There's a way to make it better than if there was no action taken whatsoever. So like people who are have a loved one who's murdered are affected in much different and to my opinion sadder ways if the perpetrator is not caught. Mm-hmm. Um, and is still out there or if a you know, even worse still, if there, if we don't know if there's a murder, the person is just missing. You know, like the grieving process is completely stymied in that case. Um, and if the perpetrator is not caught or brought to justice, or the person believed to be the perpetrator gets off on a technicality, then like 
that's much more injurious to the people who are grieving, the living victims of that crime, than if the justice system works properly and the person is held accountable for what they've done. It's not just about that person. I mean, ideally, that person would be contrite and change and participate in a meaningful restorative justice experience, even if that's just making a statement in court about how awful they feel. But even without that, society at large recognizing it and taking action is more healing than if there's nothing done at all. Yeah, I will say I've, uh, yeah, I've never been in the situation where I've had to accept an apology for from a murderer. But I will say, just personally speaking, that if their apology focused on how awful they felt about doing the murder, that would not feel sincere to me. <laughs> right. Yeah, that was sloppy speaking yeah. on my part. I, well, you know, no, ideally, there would be... It's not a yeah. like I'm not I'm not like uh, picking on that. I just feel like I think that that's an important kind of aspect of the conversation mm-hmm. because I I think that a lot of people when they apologize they focus on how their their embarrassment or their shame or their feelings about what they did, which is really for some people uh, their feelings about how they got caught doing their thing. And most often that's a, a, a reflection of narcissism. The most charitable thing you could say is that it's a, um, a misunderstanding of what justice is confusing justice. It's an, yeah. It's an, I'm sorry I got caught or I'm sorry you feel that way. right. Or More it's than. a, it's a confusion of uh, punishment with justice. Let me mm-hmm. assure you that I'm being punished. Maybe you'll feel better when you know how badly I'm being punished. But, uh, in truth, punishment and justice are not the same thing. So I, I think the thing that, that I'm trying that I'm trying to get at and that I'm trying to wrap my head around is number one, uh, situations where both parties think they're in the right. Uh-huh. So nobody is ever going to give an inch. Um, and situations in which the injury was not caused by somebody making a bad decision. We're making a bad choice and to simplify it down to like the dumbest possible terms. I think about like the trolley problem, right? No matter what choice you make in the trolley problem, which uh, are you familiar, both familiar with the trolley problem? I assume? Yeah. 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 We should, we should explain it for listener. So for listeners sake, uh, the trolley problem is you are, you are an observer. You are standing there and you see a trolley, uh, barreling down the tracks. You are standing next to a switch that can divert that trolley, or you can ignore it and not divert the trolley. If you do not divert the trolley, the trolley will run over a person. Or run over five people, whatever. Mm-hmm. If you do divert the trolley, it will run over only one person, but it would be your action that caused it to run over that person. So, and my point to that is whichever action or inaction you take you're still causing harm but it is not necessarily the wrong action in general only to specific only relative to the injured parties specifically yeah i that this is very interesting because this is the first time i've ever thought about what a trolley problem apology would sound like because the trolley person is gonna have to make an apology no the trolley person apologizes for nothing really 
it's to well when we had when you guys argued with me a few weeks ago about making large scale social change and you know environmental change and stuff you you correctly pointed out to me that the real perpetrators of the problem are the people with much more resources and power the person who tied these goddamn people to the train tracks is the one who should be apologizing <laughs> like if i'm standing there by the switch and i'm just trying to do the best i can with what's there like i'm not apologizing to anybody hopefully so I could be but sympathetic. Here's, this, I'd give a sympathy. Sorry, sorry hmm. that, that that this had to happen. Like I'm, I'm, I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm compassionate, <laughs> but that's, I'm not apologizing. But the guy who tied, well, I assume it's a guy who tied them into onto the railroad tracks, is the one who needs to apologize. That's my it's. It let's point. statistically, it's a guy. Yeah, no, it's 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 a middle aged white man. Like, yeah, let's be honest. My central point here is that when it comes to little girls, we show no mercy. <laughs> all right (laughs) okay yes all right but so here's the here's the catch 22 uh there is always somebody more culpable than you there is always going to be somebody who regardless of the situation it cannot be said that any decision is made in a vacuum so even when it comes to the point of the most heinous crimes in our culture you still have that overarching societal umbrella that one could use to shield the perpetrator. So you're telling me that like, like my decision to buy a, a gas guzzling SUV and say, fuck the environment is to- is like not, it's not correct now. It's, it's a completely opposite. I can't just no, blame, no, 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 that's not, I can't blame that's, Jeff Bezos for not fixing it. I have some responsibility of my no, own. This is, no, this is what I'm saying. This is, I'm, this is exactly what I'm saying is that, it, there is no good decision to be made whether you buy that car or not. Both are wrong. Therefore, it's the people who tied them to the tracks. It's the Jeff Bezos who is ultimately to blame. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that that logic, that uh, that paradigm is applicable to more minute and more realistic scenarios. People very rarely murder because they want to. Or because it's fun, right? That's a, a very rare thing. They murder because they're in a socioeconomic position that rewards uh, crime and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. How culpable is that person for being in that situation versus the people that put them in that situation? And yeah. who should apologize? Uh, yeah, if if someone if someone ties someone to the railroad tracks, a bunch of people to the railroad tracks, and then puts you next to the switch it's a neat rhetorical trick to make it look like it is your fault that anybody died when you just happened to be there i think you're talking about a different type of like you're talking about um a person who's like themselves being victimized by violence and they decide to kill their abuser out of an act of desperation no it's not it's not even that it's basically basically what we're saying is the fact that we live in a culture that is still making gas guzzling suvs is kind of the problem that that's people that's tying people to the railroad tracks we're living in a culture where people don't have enough resources and violence is more and more of an immediate solution that feels necessary for well where where or, or is necessary yeah because again it's i mean it's a hoarding problem but but yes, basically. Right. And so if as a world at large, we're allowing these subcultures where violence is 
uh, necessary or feels necessary. And then generationally that happens. So that's what people are used to. Then how much is any one individual, you know, to be held accountable when there's an act of violence that takes place? Is it, I'm um, I understanding your point properly. I think so. Uh, yes, but there's an additional step to this that my brain has made that I have not vocalized. All right. And that, and that is that that's the key to forgiveness. I think recognizing that is the, is the key to, or I should say, is that a key to forgiveness? Is that a way to get past the injury is to recognize that even if that person never apologizes to, to me, ultimately it's not really their fault. It's, you know, how they were raised. It's the situation that they were in. It was the only way they could know to act at that time. That's more or less the point that Tutu makes in the book I referenced, which is that any one of us is capable of horrendous acts um, if we were placed in or steeped in the proper or the necessary conditions for long enough we would all be capable of whatever act anybody else is committing yeah i agree yep yeah it's the stanford prison experiment you've taken too many philosophy classes probably although that was an actual thing the the stanford that's not a rhetorical device that actually that's a thing that actually happened look it up it's it's insane yeah i think i think that some people have personalities that lean uh, more towards being willing to do heinous stuff than other people i think i might have to be pushed a little bit harder than some other people before i start like you know torturing people or whatever there have been a lot of awful things done in the name of scientific experimentation Mm -hmm. which is why i'm a strong champion for the uh, 69ing experiment that I articulated earlier. Like science that actually uplifts and helps people. And the participants are getting to do something gratifying and fun. And maybe is this entire episode, is this entire episode just one big long make love, not war? Yeah. I mean, that's an alternate boring title for the episode, if you're a coward. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> make make war against the things that get in the way of love. Ah, I, it's, it's interesting <laughs> to me. Like, the idea of redemption and uh, forgiveness, ah, it's, it's just, it fascinates me. Well, I recommend that book. Yeah, I would have to learn how to read, and I'm not too interested in that. It's probably an audio version. Oh, yeah, that's right. Would you say that you're illiterate? You can read, you just don't? <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. Sure. Have uh, Have either of you ever gotten any really good apologies? I don't think so. I asked this question without having one in mind at all. I'm trying to trying to think about it. No, I, I, I think that every apology I've ever received... Uh, especially like the big ones were coerced. Like I had to fight for them. I am very worried about saying this into a microphone, but I'm trying to think I try to live my life so that I don't do any really big slights to people. Just, just little ones that don't really need apologies. Death by a thousand cuts. (laughs) Yeah. I try not, I try not to do anything apology worthy. Just a low-level douchebag at all times. <laughs> yes. Just, 
that's not going to have any effect. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Being over here by myself, uh, just with the appearance of carelessness. Uh, I received a quality apology recently. It wasn't about a big issue or a big deal. Uh, it was a relatively small uh, issue or occurrence, relatively small injury. But the apology was quality. So I suppose that counts. Yeah, I'm trying to think of any that I've received, and I'm not, I'm coming up blank. But I can think of two that I have given at work because I I was trying to be I'm trying to be like more accountable and uh, like apologize for things when I catch them. And there were uh, two instances: one where I inadvertently took credit for somebody else's work, and because I. I thought I was doing it by myself, but somebody else was helping me. <laughs> they, I, I just did not know. I was like, I thought, I thought I was the old, literally the only one doing this. And then my boss was like, "Oh no, like we're also helping. It's just not on your calendar." And I was like, "Oh great." So I wrote like a, an apology, and I, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry that because I, I did it in a meeting too. So I like, really, like, puffed myself up. Mm-hmm. But like, I apologize. I, I was like, you know, I'm. Very sorry. I didn't mean to take credit for uh, your the other people, everybody else's work, and you know, I didn't mean to do that. I'm very sorry, and that seemed to to be fine. And it was another uh, another one was when someone I was mentoring they sent me some of their work to review, and I didn't give it my full attention, and I sent it back with a, an error, and I was like, you know, when 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 they sent it back for a another question that's when i i was like you know what i'm sorry i wasn't giving it my full attention and you deserve better than that i won't do that again i was hoping at least one of those stories would be more interesting you know both the, <laughs> they're both work stories they're both very boring no but could you go change one and then jeff can edit it in later of like i used one of the reports for toilet paper or something you know something that's <laughs> keeps my interest <laughs> the I mean, I think the second one is the most interesting one, and that it's because uh, I went right to the point. Yeah, it's still still setting a pretty pretty low bar. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very, very uninteresting. So you weren't paying good enough attention to your work in that situation. You you didn't give it the attention you deserved because you had just discovered a new type of porn, and you were, like, just preoccupied with masturbating. It's very funny that you say that. I have a I have a recurring I have a recurring nightmare that I that I am watching porn at work. Don't you work from home? I do. I would I would never because can you imagine the absolute like it's this dream is the same category of dream as uh, like I will have a, a nightmare that I'm playing with a gun. Where I it's, I find myself in a horrible position where something irreversible happens, and so yeah, this recurring dream is that that I I have porn running while I'm working, and it goes out over like a a conference call or something like that. Like I I would never, and like precisely for that reason. But yeah, if you're working you, at home, doesn't that mean that? Every time you watch porn, you're watching porn at work. Uh, no, work is is specifically my office. 
Like that is my work room. Gotcha. I only do work in there. <laughs> Damn right you do. Yeah. <laughs> do some work with that bacon. But yeah, are you guys familiar with Jeffrey Tubin? I've heard the uh, name. Is that no. the attorney guy who had the porn going? He worked for I think are you confusing uh, Jeffrey Tubin and the the cat lawyer? Yes, but the Tubin is a great porn name now that I think of it. It is, yeah. yeah. Uh no, he worked for like the New York Times and he was on a big conference call, like a yes. company wide conference call. Yep. And he was jerking it. Yes. Just going to town. Yeah. Yep. He was tubing. He was rubbing his tube. He was tubing. I'm not going to come up with it. All right. So, what did we learn? Chocolate covered bacon is usually soft. Yeah. Uh, most apologies are half baked and or missing a couple of ingredients just because they're social lubricant. If you have to ask for an apology, can it ever be a genuine apology? Yes. Yes. So there may be a time when I have, I'm not aware of the wrong I've done. You know, so the person may not ask for the apology. They might bring their, my attention to some, some harm that I caused without knowing it. <clears throat> and if yeah. they say, could you apologize for that? It's still going to be a genuine apology. Yeah, but that's, that's, I'm not talking about like you're unaware of the hurt you did and somebody makes you aware of it. And then you feel like you, I mean, right. Uh, you make the person aware and they still don't apologize. And then you have to be like, I deserve an apology for that. Can it be a genuine apology after that? I, I, I think it can, but it has to be that like, they have to nail it. I feel yeah. like I, yeah, if I, mm, I don't know if I, I don't know if I've ever really asked for an apology because I, I think I would accept one that I asked for. Because I would only ask someone who I cared about, who also cared about me. I feel like so I would believe I would believe them. I feel like it's important to me to prioritize to the people and spend more time with people who, when they are aware that they've done something harmful, will apologize of their own accord. I don't mm-hmm. know that it's impossible mm-hmm. for a person to apologize effectively if I've prompted them to do so. But if that's happening more than a couple of times in the course of the relationship, then I'm probably not going to have much to do with that person anymore if I can help it. That, that is something that I think about a lot, though, is uh, am I stumbling my way through life offending people and doing things that I should apologize for, but I am unaware of it? I mean, at least 11 times in this conversation. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sh- I I'm certain. So instead of a instead of a, what did we learn this week, let's just give a hearty listener. I am sorry. <laughs> this, no, this episode. Well, take a moment to acknowledge that this conversation hurt your ears, and we discussed things in an irresponsible, vulgar, sophomoric, and fun way, and. You know the the effect on you for that has been a waste of time and also a degeneration of your cognitive powers. And in the future, we will make an effort to um, uh, repeat that process. I'm sorry you feel that way. <laughs> yes. In the spirit of comedy, I will. I apologize for nothing. Mm-hmm.